Welcome to the podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Area Church at First Parish in Sherborne. No matter who you are, who you love, we welcome you into our community of religious seekers. Please join us for our Sunday worship services at 10.30 a.m. More information can be found on our website at uuac.org or visit our Facebook page at Sherborne Unitarian Universalist. In the memoir, Our World, written by Mary Oliver, Oliver writes about her longtime partner, the photographer Molly Malone Cook. She refers to Cook as M. It has frequently been remarked about my own writings that I emphasize the notion of attention. This began simply enough to see that the way the flicker flies is greatly different from the way the swallow plays in the golden air of summer. It was my pleasure to notice such things. It was a good first step. But later, watching M when she was taking photographs and watching her in the dark room, and no less, watching the intensity and openness with which she dealt with friends and strangers too, taught me what real attention is about. Attention without feeling, I began to learn, is only a report. An openness, an empathy, was necessary if the attention was to matter. Such openness and empathy M had in abundance and gave away freely. I was in my late 20s and early 30s and well filled with a sense of my own thoughts, my own presence. I was eager to address the world of words, to address the world with words. Then M instilled in me this deeper level of looking and working, of seeing through the heavenly visibles to the heavenly invisibles. I think of this always when I look at her photographs, the images of vitality, hopefulness, endurance, kindness, vulnerability. We each had our separate natures, yet our ideas, our influences upon each other became a rich and a binding confluence. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. Are you paying attention? What is it that you are paying attention to? When was the last time that you were caught by surprise and then that surprise called you to pay attention and focus on the thing that was right? in front of you. Several weeks ago, I was walking in the woods behind my apartment, listening to some podcast, walking in my own little world. I walk these trails quite a few times a day. Lately, it's been a little bit less with the colder weather, even in Kansas. I don't yet know the exact distance, but I've grown to know the corners, the bends. I've grown to appreciate and always laugh at the bridge that has a sign that says there's a five-ton limit, even though it's a thousand feet from the road. I've grown to know the cutoffs. 
I've grown to know the changing foliage. Now, this day, I'm out closer to sunrise, and again, in my own little world, and out of the corner of my eye, I see something large moving, and I realize it's an owl moving from one tree branch to the other. Now, I've heard owls hooting in these woods before, so in theory, I know that they're there. But I still startled the owl, and it startled me. It was breathtaking, and I couldn't help but be astonished. It's the kind of sight where you cannot help but go, wow. The kind of sight that makes your heart beat a little faster. It calls your attention to something outside of yourself. And you pause, and you are astonished. Later that day, I am driving to work, and again, in my own little world, and I see out of the corner of my eye a car in my blind spot. Again, this is the kind of sight that makes your heart beat a little faster, but this is different because it makes me wonder, were there other dangers that I missed, other hazards that I wasn't paying attention to? What were the other shocking things that I overlooked? I've been driving for a good number of years, and I'm a pretty decent driver, though the bar is admittedly pretty low for what makes a decent driver, a minor fender bender and some speeding tickets over the years. Over the course of the years, I've learned to use your mirrors, check your blind spots, but I'm always weary about that thing that will surprise me and cause me to wonder, what else did I miss? As I get to my office at work, my study, I remember all of the books that are on my bookshelf. About three quarters of them I actually did read all the way through. And the master's degree diploma hanging on the wall. I went to seminary at Andover Newton Theological School. That seminary's campus, which is now sold, was the textbook definition of the pastoral hillside. On the road or the sidewalk leading up the hill, you would drive past several huge trees. And there was one tree that was unassuming for three quarters of the year, heck, maybe even 50, 50 seconds of the year. And then when the weather started getting colder and the biology in the leaves happens as it does, that unassuming tree turns a shocking goldenrod, the most beautiful yellow for just a few weeks of the year, and then it fades back into the background, a short moment in the leaves life that invites your attention to something you hadn't previously been paying attention to, something that you looked at every day. My congregation serves in a food kitchen in Lawrence, Kansas called the uh, Lawrence Interdenominational or Interfaith Nutritional Kitchen, or LINK. I don't know which came first, the initialism or the name of it, but it's a good place to work. And in this food kitchen, we see folks week after week, and we are called to curiosity. We're called to wonder. Now, some of these folks I see in the public library or I see on the street corner, and I wonder, what is this person's story? How did it get so that they are in line and I am serving food to them? What in our society means and creates a situation where some people go without food while others have food and the ability to cook 
and to serve it. Where have we failed? How are they doing today? This is the kind of attention that calls us to wonder more, that invites us to go a little bit deeper. Each of these small vignettes highlights the various ways that we are called to attention to the world that is around us. The surprise which calls your attention to the present moment, the surprise which makes you wonder, what have you been missing? The surprise which brings your attention to the things you have seen time after time, and that attention that calls you to further attention, to ask questions, and to be inquisitive. What are the things that you pay attention to? Of course, in this current day and age, we're paying attention to politics, to climate change, coronavirus, and as people work to research that disease and make plans on its containment, I'm glad that they are paying attention. There'll be more opportunities to pay attention in the coming weeks, I am sure. Now, someone once said, I think it was the former president of my seminary, Nick Carter, that's the American Baptist theologian, not the backstreet boy, Nick Carter. (laughs) And he said, if you want to look at what a congregation values, don't look at its mission statement. Look at how the congregation spends its money. The budget is a statement of morals. Certainly our own personal budgets are statements of values as well. Now I turn from Nick to two other individuals, the great education reformers, Nancy Faust Sizer and Theodore R. Sizer, who wrote in their book, The Students Are Watching, these words. To find the core of a school, don't look at its rule book or even its mission statement. Look at the way the people in it spend their time, how they relate to one another, how they tangle with ideas. Look for the contradictions between words and practice, with the fewer the better. Try to estimate the frequency and honesty of its deliberations, though it will always want to spruce up for visitors. Its hour-by-hour functioning is what is important. Judge the school not on what it says, but on how it keeps. This book talks about how students learn, not just in the classrooms, but from the rituals that schools create And I don't mean rituals like pep rallies or morning assemblies, but the rituals of interactions, the ways of being in the classroom. What the Sizers write about a little bit before what I just shared is that the rules that last don't come out of books, but rather they come out of the relationships people have with one another. They write, in small and voluntary associations, shared norms emerge which make it unnecessary to develop elaborate sets of rules. The rules that last come out of environments, not books. The relationship between the needs of the community and individual freedom is not something arbitrarily imposed. It is rather arrived at through explanation, exploration, and persuasion. So to take all of this further, how do we spend our time as a congregation, how we treat one another, and yes, how we spend our money, those all end up being a statement of our beliefs or of our philosophy. And that is more powerful than a mission statement. That's about the quality of the community.
We know this, I think. So let's take it a step further. I believe that how we spend our time as individuals, how we spend our attention, the budget of our attention, if you will, is also a statement of our values. Attention is a unit of measurement of the things that we care about. Has anybody here ever created a personal mission statement? or Come up with a list of your own personal values. That's okay if you haven't, because there would likely be a gap as to what your stated beliefs are, or your ways of being in the world are, and how you actually are. So what if you spent a few weeks studying your life, keeping track of the things that you did, the quality of your conversations, the places where you spent your time, the people you hung out with, sure, money you spent, the food you ate, but also how you were at work or home or wherever your third place is, whether it's this congregation or a coffee shop. What would happen with this data? What would you gather? Well, first of all, you don't need to spend immense amounts of time doing this. Just take a few moments of mindfulness before bed or journaling at night. What happens when you begin to pay attention is that first you have to attach emotion to it. Mary Oliver's words seem pretty clear about that when she writes that as she was watching M when she was taking photographs and watching her in the dark room and no less watching the intensity and openness with which she dealt with friends and strangers too. Mary Oliver writes, that taught me what real attention is about. Attention without feeling, I began to learn, is only a report. Pay attention and be astonished and then tell about it. So with that list of the places and things that got your attention, notice how you feel because if you don't, it's just a report. When you pay attention to your life, how you spend your time, a few things happen. First of all, we slow down. Who doesn't need that invitation to slow down? The other thing that happens is that you enter into a greater sense of communion. Your paying attention becomes a sacrament. We should unpack those words, though, because we are in a Unitarian Universalist setting. We all have different understandings of those words. Unitarian Universalist theologian Richard Grieg explains it as, Communion is the sacred shown within the concrete, the infinite within the finite. And Barbara Brown Taylor reminds us that anything can become a sacrament, by which I mean an outward and visible sign of an inward spiritual connection. Sacraments take work, but if you are paying attention, even a mail-order catalog can become a sacrament. She continues on to say the sacrament of the catalog creates more than reverence in me. It creates a painful awareness of my part in the felling of a forest. It weaves me into the web of cause and effect, reminding me of, the, of my place in the overall scheme of things. If communion or sacrament don't work for you, paying attention it invites you to take part in that interdependent web of existence. Paying attention, pausing for just a moment, invites you to be connected to the owl that has flown away, to the other cars on the road. Yes, you can enter into that sense of connection on the pike or on Route 9. 
It invites you to pay attention to that tree that's brilliantly gold for just a few weeks. It invites you into connection with your favorite nature property or to the people in your community that need help. From all of this study, what would emerge is a pretty good statement of your values, your way of being in the world. Attention is a unit of measurement about what we care about in this world and what you measure you can change. If after studying your life, you realize that there is a gap between what you think you do and what you actually do, well, congratulations, human. This is something that happens. Because you are breathing and because you have measured it, you have time to change. If you pay attention, if you really stop and pay attention, you cannot help but fall in love with the world. You cannot help but feel a deeper sense of connection. This creation and this noticing of where you pay attention creates this storehouse for awe, whether it's things like sun rays and colors and words like we heard from Frederick, or whether it's the, uh, the author of our first hymn who wrote that hymn when he was 23 or 28, and he was just walking out in the woods and he was astonished by everything. All of that creates a storehouse and a stock of awe, which I think we need in this world. And so, my friends gathered here, as you leave this space, I invite you to pay attention to the things that caught you by surprise, which call you to focus. To pay attention to what caught you by surprise and then makes you wonder what else you missed. Pay attention and you might notice something again for the first time. Pay attention once more and focus on something intensely for study throughout the week, make note of what you pay attention to. Dig deeper. What does that say about you? How does it reflect your deeply held values? Is there a difference between what you say you do and what you actually do? May it be so.